Well, hi everyone. Welcome back to Crosswise. It's James here. And today we're going to be talking about something really exciting, something that is one of my passions, something that gets me excited. And that's digital storytelling and art and creativity. Because ultimately what we're doing right now, sat in front of these microphones, is a form of creativity. When I design the logo for the podcast, when I you know, build the website or do little bits of social media, that's art, that's creativity. And people maybe forget that digital art and digital storytelling is just as important. And my guest today is someone who knows all about this and actually does a podcast all about art. So please welcome to the show, Pam Uzel. Hi, James. Thank you so much for having me on your show. This is so fun to talk to you. I've already explained to you a bit how much I, I'm a bit of an Anglophile, so it's very nice to be a guest here. <laughs> well, I'll, make, I'll put the kettle on and make a cup of tea for us both, shall I? <laughs> ah, perfect. Perfect. And please... Do not skimp on the scones and all those other things, because I love all of that. Oh, you, do you know the saddest thing is, unfortunately, we've got a rail strike coming up soon in the UK, which means I'm going to not be able to travel up to see my my nana, my grandmother, uh, for her birthday. She's, she's in a care home. You know, I've been very public about that on Twitter. But one of the things she's asked for is um, a cream tea, you know, scones and jam and cream. So all the rest of my family are going to be there. Oh, you, you are now making me incredibly hungry for scones. Oh, so. I know. Well, I, 24-7, I'm hungry for scones. So <laughs> That could be the best quote of this entire episode, 24-7 scones. Okay. So before we get into this whole concept of digital storytelling, Pam, do you want to tell people a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your story? And of course, as I say to all my guests, obligatory plug plug away your podcast anything else you want to promote well thank you um, my name is Pam Uzel and I am a podcaster my podcast name is Art Heals All Wounds and it's a podcast where we meet artists who are working to find solutions I would say to problems of climate change social justice emotional struggles we all go through the whole gamut and it's a really creative way to think about whatever you're struggling with at the moment. And I'm also a filmmaker, a documentary filmmaker. I focus a lot on, again, some social justice issues. Uh, the, my most recent film was a film called Welcome to the Neighborhood, which took on the housing crisis in Berkeley, California, and its effect on the community there. And... I also am a teacher. I teach video editing. And that's me in a nutshell. And I think that it really echoes with me, you know, getting those, maybe those untold stories of the stories that we don't see enough in, you know, on TV and in movies and things that really need to be brought to light. I think my experience has been in the last, I'd say the last 10 years or so, we've really started seeing more and more genuine, heartfelt documentaries that haven't been created with, you know, the budget of a BBC film unit or, a you know, an NBC film unit. They've been done often on people's phones with the equipment they have. They've been maybe sat in their bedroom on a, on a battered old MacBook editing and getting frustrated when things crash and when, you know, like me, once happened to me, editing a video for a project. I won't say which one, though it might have been a certain relative's wedding video. <laughs> and um, but, but might, might have lost, accidentally 
lost a little bit of footage that I had to restore from backup. Uh-uh. And I know my uncle listens to this show, so um, you didn't hear that. Well, you're bringing up something which I think is incredibly important, and that is this idea of accessibility. And the difference between now and when I first started working in film is kind of amazing. And I do want to share this story before we get too far along. When I sort of reflected that I was about to be on a podcast about technology, I had to laugh because I didn't learn how to use a computer until I was in my 30s. I'm older than you, and I also went to school in a um, town in South Arkansas. There were no computers there, but I I think in fairness, it wasn't even the school. I just think that they weren't quite in use very much. So I learned to type on a typewriter. And even when I got to college, I think there was a Mac lab. And that was back in the days where essentially you just type your paper in. And I thought, that is so ugly. I can't stand it. I couldn't stand. Remember, you may be too young, but remember the printing where the paper was all connected and then you had to rip off the sides and then separate each page. I thought, this is hideous. I will never, ever, ever use a computer. And so I type all the way through grad school. I used to write my papers out longhand. Finally, you know, I I began working in film in my early 20s, and we did everything on film. We printed out the film. We printed out the sound on those magnetic reels. There was something about it that I really loved. It was very much a feeling, like a crafty feeling, because you're, you know, cutting something, you're taping it together, and that sort of thing. And right as I was retiring from my first career as um, working in sound post-production in feature films, that's when the digital age started coming in. And I was pivoting to be an independent filmmaker, and I thought, well, I am not going to edit my movies on a computer. And so I bought up, they were selling the huge flatbeds and things that you used to edit on, that at one time were tens of thousands of dollars, people were giving them away. And so I created a whole little film studio for myself, and I thought, I'm just going to be a dinosaur. I'm going to edit everything the way it's meant to be edited on film. But the thing to remember about dinosaurs is that they went extinct. And I quickly realized, like, I'm going to go extinct if I don't learn how to edit digitally. And so that's how I actually learned to use a computer was by editing digitally. And now I teach it. So if I could do that, then I feel like this, this is a path for everyone. And I don't want to go on and on and on. But to me, again, it comes back to accessibility. No, abs- I think you've hit the nail on the head. And just to relate back to the the continuous feed paper, the number <laughs> of times in pri- yeah, I remember it in primary school. So this was for me, sort of uh, late eighties, early early nineties. I should be, you know, as a, as a relatively young kid, being scared that if I didn't pick up my printing, it would jam up the printer and it would ruin the precious printer that we had at school. And, you know, we had at home, we had like Citizen Swift dot matrix <laughs> printers with, the, so it's a fond memory. And it's interesting that you talk about, you know, that transition to digital editing, because, you know, back in the day, when that transition occurred, we didn't have 
the easy to use NLEs that we have today, like forget iMovie. You know, you have the original versions of Final Cut and the original versions of Premiere, which, you know, I remember trying to look at Premiere again, probably mid 90s. But looking at I have no idea what I'm doing. And of course, I had no equipment. I had no video capture. My, my friend, I, I will tell this story because I love this. My friend, who was also one of my youth leaders back in the day, he got a grant to get a digital video editing workstation because video was becoming quite an important part of the youth, the youth stuff we were doing. You know, like, you know, uh, particularly in the church scene, you know, we used to, I was... I was sort of pioneering as helping do song words on PowerPoint back in the day when, you know, some churches are still using hymn sheets and all this good stuff. Anyway, he had this system and he had a, a Matrox capture card. And I just remember that, like, we had to plug, like, analog video cameras in and run the tapes through. Yes. Nothing like we have now where, you know, we can just grab, you know, I'm, I'm holding up my iPhone 13 Pro where I can just shoot 4K video on something that fits in my pocket whereas you know previously you'd have to have all editing rig you'd have to have a, a a capture card everything like that and even you know even looking at things like mini dv as that became you know digital video so standard def digital video even that was a bit of a chore because you you had to let the tape run yes to capture it yes i my first documentary was shot on mini dv i had 80 hours of footage so you are exactly right. You're sitting there twiddling your thumbs or doing whatever while it captures. And, yeah, we could go on and on about dropped frames and having to recapture oh, and all that stuff. But yet it was such a huge step forward because my first film in graduate school I shot in 16-millimeter film. And the cost of that was astronomical. To go from there, my thesis film was the one that I shot on the mini-DV. And to be able to pick up, a, you know, buy a camera for a few thousand dollars as opposed to tens of thousands of dollars and to buy these little mini DV tapes that were 10 to $20 felt like the biggest liberation I've ever experienced. So it was, it's so annoying now to look back at that process. But then at the time, what we were coming from was huge. It was such a huge convenience. And I know people who complain about how slow it is to transfer a 4K video file from their iPhone to their Mac. I'm like, yeah, you, you don't remember. No, <laughs> the, no. The joys. You don't, but it's okay because I complain about that too. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, there we go. And, you know, we talk about accessibility. One, one of my, you know, my favorite sort of video editing accessibility things, and we are looking obviously more on the consumer side, but I, I just have to say, I think Apple's introduction of the iMac with Firewire and iMovie did so much right. for accessibility for, you know, maybe not people like yourself who are professional video editors, but people like me who just wanted to make a quick video. Right, right. Speaking of Apple, I don't want to plug them too much, but I do think that they have been really smart in the video editing world. They came up with something called Final Cut Pro, which some people may know now, but the old version of Final Cut Pro was very intuitive for filmmakers who had worked on film to make the switch. And it was affordable. You could do it at home. And they have switched to the new Final Cut Pro, which people tell me is much more like iMovie. But again, it's affordable relatively. 
And it's a powerful machine. And I think that they've done a lot to democratize the filmmaking world for people who just want to get started. They don't want to, you know, invest a whole lot into software or equipment, but they can make something that looks professional. Absolutely. And, you know, I think, as I said pre-show, I bought Final Cut Pro, the current iteration. I think what we officially call Final Cut Pro 10 is, yeah, as opposed to, now, I mean, fun fact, my first version of Final Cut was Final Cut Express HD. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we actually did a separate, cheaper version of Final Cut, and I got that with with my uh, my first iMac. So it brings back fond memories. And you're right, it was much more like a film editor's interface. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was still incredibly easy to use. But Final Cut Pro Ten, it does have its differences. And I understand there's a lot of people who have switched to Premiere for that reason because Premiere has been intentionally made to be more like old, older Final Cut. And do you know what? I used to think, oh, why? that's just a bit silly. Why, why are people switching from Final Cut? And then I realised it goes back to this whole accessibility thing People have different needs in software, have different ways they relate to software. And the fact that there's so many, you know, I don't want to spend all this episode talking about NLE tools, but the fact that we've got Final Cut, Premiere, we talked pre-show about LumaFusion and we've, we've uh, sorry, Luma, yeah, LumaFusion um, on the iPad and DaVinci Resolve, mm, you know, free. and free completely free for you know for a basic package i know so many youtubers particularly in the retro community who are starting to use davinci resolve because they don't have a budget for final cut or for premiere because obviously adobe subscription pricing we're not going to get into that moving away from the nles themselves do you think that for people wanting to as we talked about you know the the housing crisis and maybe stories of communities where they aren't represented you know, I had, you know, obviously Chris Angel Murphy on recently mm-hmm. to talk about accessibility in tech for the LGBTQ AI plus community. I think it's wonderful that these tools, correct me if I'm wrong, have allowed those communities to share their stories without being blocked, as it is, by, main, by media and by, you know, by the man, quote unquote. Well, I completely agree. And, you know, for most of media history, the gatekeeper has been money. Mm. And do you have studio backing? Do you have a way to distribute this? And for that very reason, up until very recently, the range of stories, the range particularly of protagonists and characters was so incredibly narrow. And I think that as much as I sometimes want to complain that there's a lot of not particularly high quality stuff that's coming through, I think that it's been so important to get rid of the gatekeeper of money. I remember, I know for so many people, especially in my age group, um, Star Wars was a really defining film for them. And it's not for me. And I can tell you why, because apparently in the future and in space, there's only one woman who has to run around in a dress with like little honey bun, hairdo (laughs) on her side. There's only one black person. There's only white men, apparently, in the future for the most part. And so what does that mean to have seen only those kinds of stories 
for so long. I'm curious about the fact that now, especially here on cable, you're seeing such a broader range of stories. You're seeing um, directors who are women, men, non-binary directors. And I'm wondering about how this opening up of the gates in terms of alternative media such as YouTube and places like that have affected what we're seeing now on more mainstream channels. I can't help but wonder if a rise of genuinely good and creative and well-thought-out YouTube content has led to Netflix picking up shows from maybe these creators. Oh, yeah. And you look at some of these huge creators, you know, people who started off with virtually nothing. And YouTube, as much as I have my issues with YouTube, from a, they really need to be more careful with what they allow onto their shorts yes. platform. Some of that content is just vile. Yes, yes. But a lot of it, I mean, one, I, I mentioned these, these, these couple so much, I really need to get them on the show. Um, Alex and Melinda Griswold, who are the uh, adopted internet parents of the entire internet, apparently. But these are just two people with cameras telling really positive stories, making you feel good every day. Mm. And that's the sort of things that you you don't necessarily necessarily see on the broadcast networks. And I do think we've had it's had an influence on what's hitting our streaming services now. You know, we go back, you know, I I was born eighty three. And, you know, for me, particularly here in the UK, when I was growing up, we, we had cable for a little bit until we decided it was too expensive. We had four or five broadcast channels. You know, I remember Channel 5 launching um, and then being told I wasn't allowed to watch it because of the naughty <laughs> things that were on there at night. But hey, well, that's a, that's a whole different episode of a, a podcast, that one. But I had to watch TV when the networks wanted me to watch TV and watch the stories they wanted me to watch. Mm-hmm. Whereas now I can go onto YouTube, I can go onto Vimeo. There's stories being told on, on Instagram stories, on TikTok. Yeah, there's rubbish on there, as we, as we said, but that accessibility and... You know, hearing the story of a marginalised community, you know, of things that are happening that maybe don't get reported in the news because the news don't want to cover it because it'll upset the wrong people, quote-unquote the wrong people. Um, And I think just the range of creativity we're seeing in in film and storytelling is incredible. And do you think it's fair to say as well, the affordability of things like good video mics, good stabilisers like the DJI... Uh, Osmo uh, Mobile, that wonderful little giz- uh, gimbal that's, you know, relatively speaking, re- really affordable. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but back in the day, that sort of steady cam rig would cost thousands, if not more. Oh, for sure. And we all had our little tricks of getting a old abandoned wheelchair and holding the camera in our laps and having someone push us around to try and mimic that in a cheaper way. But it's a huge step towards giving people a voice. And the reason that is so incredibly important, and I do want to just completely validate your complaint, is that there's so much hateful content on YouTube and other platforms that really we've got to figure that one out. And we can't just keep saying, oh, free speech. We're not, you know, we have to figure out, can we seriously not get, you know, control this hateful um, garbage here? But what is so important for us, and by us, I'm going to say the United States, but I imagine that it's true for England as well, 
is that we are given a story, an official story, which you could argue it's not even true, but being generous, it's not complete. If you just have that one story, that's the only story, you'll wander around wondering why certain people do this, why certain things are like that. And that's because we're ignorant and we haven't heard the other stories, the other parts of the story, the full story about our history, about all of the different communities that make up our country and make up that history that have contributed to it. And that is why this accessibility is so important. We really, really need to confront a more complete picture of our history than what we've done. There's so much pushback against that, but you cannot silence that now that we have these platforms and the accessibility of less expensive equipment and social media, honestly, which I I have a love-hate relationship with it, but I know a lot from social media. And I'm also really picky, though. I'm really discerning. And that's that's, I think, what's missing for the YouTube and the social media is that we do need to have some instruction on being discerning in what you consume. Yeah, and when unfortunately a lot of YouTube, you, I'm, I'm targeting YouTube, YouTube shorts because it's the platform I engage with. Mm-hmm. When most of it is spam or horrible videos, there's there's this Minecraft loop, and it, it drives me <laughs> wild. And it's 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 basically this simulated voice, this generated voice saying, "Just I'm just going to sh- shout call out YouTube, but we haven't dealt with this because I've reported to so many of these." Basically, it says, subscribe or next day you die. That's not something we should be putting out on the internet. That isn't something that should be allowed on any platform. And that is, unfortunately, the reverse side of the accessibility. It makes it easy for scammers and people with horrible motives. But I do want to say, that doesn't mean we should stop making the platforms accessible. Because when you do that you stop the genuine stories coming through. So you're right, we need to find a way to balance it, but we definitely, the answer is not to start putting paywalls up, as you said earlier, to gatekeep again. We don't want to do that. So shifting gear slightly away from filmmaking and video, because it's a favourite of mine, art. Your podcast is Art Heals All Wounds. Tell me a little bit about your experience of art, because I, I love... I, even since a kid, I wasn't very good at it, but I loved doodling and painting. You know, some of my favourite times in school were when we got the paints out. Admittedly, my clothes, my school uniform would come back all sorts of colours, and my mum would not be best pleased because, you know, <laughs> despite the bold claims of Purcell and, and, you know, and all the washing machine companies, you would never get that blue paint out of my school shirt. Well, yes, and this is another thing where I'm just going to have to fully embrace my imposter syndrome I don't really know very much about art. And I'm saying that in all humility. I didn't learn about art growing up, and I don't remember many art classes. What we did have, which was my favorite thing in school, was singing. We would be taken out of class, and we would be taught all these songs. I remember my the one that sticks in my mind is that we were taught waltzing Matilda and We had all the vocabulary explained, and then we would all sing it together. And other than that, I'm trying to even remember if I had what I would call an art class. Music was very big where I grew up. The reason I chose this podcast is because I 
have somehow luckily become friends with a lot of artists. And I felt like there were so many stories behind what motivated them to do certain types of work that I was so excited by and I really wanted to share them. And I started this during the pandemic because it was so hard to try and make a film. And I just thought, well, I like to talk to people. I like to hear their stories. I like to edit little things together. I'm going to start this podcast and who right now is inspiring me? And it was far and away the artists around me. And then I got started and I got hooked because I realized that you can, no matter who you are, what your background is, you can engage with art. It's one of the things, you know, I'm I'm putting together some stuff at the moment for my sort of tech freelancing business. And one of the things I've really realized is that as much as a pandemic harmed a lot of people and had some horribly negative, you know, impacts, the one positive thing it did, or maybe there's more than one, but one of the positive things it did is allow us to explore remote storytelling, remote connectivity. Look, right now we are using a wonderful platform called uh, – everyone who listens to my show know, knows we use Squadcast, and we love Squadcast. Yes, we do. Um, and this is, again, another episode. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to start paying royalties to Ariel at Squadcast at this point <laughs> because, you know, we connected through the Squadcast community. You you were promoting – you wanted some help promoting one of your episodes. I did that. I said, hey, you know, that, that sounds awesome. Would you like to come and be on my show? And, again, that's the sort of community we're breeding. But the fact that you can talk to people and record those conversations about – what inspired their artwork, what the story is telling them. And because we've got all these wonderful publishing platforms, you know, Instagram being a prime example for art or even just great little website building tools where people can put their portfolios, you know, Squarespace, Card. We're trying to line up an interview actually with the CEO of Card at the moment to talk about how that came along and how easy is it to build you know, modern websites that allow people, again, allow people to tell their stories at an affordable price because, you know, just very quickly going back to websites because websites are absolutely a form of art. How much easier is it these days to get a website up than it used to be, you know, having to figure out how to do hosting, buying the domain names, all of this stuff, whereas now, you know, Squarespace and Card are just making it so affordable. These artists, these are people who are creating these work and, I know a lot, there's such a mix in the art world. I've got a friend who is a background artist and does a lot of work in that field, but the mix of where analog and digital come together so well and tools, you know, we, I was talking about the iPad and the Apple Pencil area, but again, to sort of put that analogy of cost and accessibility in the day, if you wanted back in the day, and I had one of the old, very old ones, it was serial port connected, folks, Wacom tablets, the you know the little graphics tablets. Yes. This was very old, and then later on, I got a USB version. But these you know high quality drawing tablets were expensive, and they weren't always that accurate originally. Whereas now you can buy an I, Apple's baseline iPad is three hundred and twenty dollars. I think three hundred and thirty dollars, something like that. Uh, three hundred and twenty pounds, and the Apple Pencil is ridiculously cheap, and you can just sat, sit there and doodle now. I've done that. I'm not a great doodler, but there are some. I've seen some fantastic art and expressions 
again, of stories of people's situations coming up through that. Would would you say that's a fair assessment of where, where we're at, that we've, we've started to see such a, again, a more accessible approach to art? We are, and there are two things I want to say. The first thing is that it doesn't really matter if you're a great doodler. What matters is how it makes you feel. Um, but secondly, what I would say, and um, acknowledging the horror of the pandemic, even as it continues, is that artists pivoted to incorporate technology into their work in ways that they never did or had to before. And the very first guest on my show was a theater company um, called the Theater Lab in Washington, D.C. And they're an absolutely amazing company. I'm plugging them very loud. People should look them up. And they have this program called Life Stories, where they work with vulnerable populations and have them write their stories and perform them, even with a kind of directing a new ending. Like, you know, if you are, um, I know they worked with incarcerated youth. And, you know, if you're estranged from your parents, how might you have that conversation with your mother you always wanted to have or your father? And they're very empowering programs. Um, and they, of course, worked completely live locally before the pandemic. And within a few weeks, they had their classes up online and through Zoom, teaching them. And my daughter, who lives here on the West Coast and not in Washington, D.C., where they're located, has taken many classes with them because all of a sudden their reach was global instead of just local. I, I, I really feel like I need to be careful. I don't ever want to erase the horror of this pandemic for oh, people. All, no. But it is also important to acknowledge what changed in certain ways, as you said earlier, that is positive or that is a new possibility. I mean, it always made me smile during the pandemic. Obviously, I was working in a role, in an IT role, where part of my pro my job was to onboard new people right. during the pandemic. Do you have any idea how difficult it is to get a hold of webcams in a pandemic when everybody's buying? So all of a sudden, a $60 what Logitech C920 webcam, which, by the way, is a, is a great webcam, starts to become $200. And... No wonder Apple have put continuity camera, this new feature, into the latest version of iOS 16 so that we can use the cameras we've already got on our iPhones because, let's be honest, most laptop cameras, if you've got them, are pretty... Bad. Useless. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's... Yeah, bad is a good phrase. And, again, it's... But that is, you know, being able to take classes via uh, Zoom, my favourite one, but it was, it was a skit, but my favourite one was just seeing what would happen if Hogwarts had to be online. Oh, that's hilarious. There was a Zoom call, and it was just the concept of a Hogwarts, you know, putting aside, or well, not putting aside, but <laughs> as much as I disagree with some of J.K. Rowling's views, the Harry Potter series is still something that I, I will enjoy, but... The joke was, you know, the number of times my nephew did online school, a number of times my dad would call me and say, you know, he's really struggling, but this whole Google Classroom thing just makes no sense. But again, in that same vein, I assume that we've had, well, I know we've had, I think the Goes Wrong Theatre Company 
for example, did a lot of live shows during the pandemic to entertain people. I've seen a huge surge in wonderfully creative artists creating content for for streamers, like their stream backgrounds or their characters. And it, I think, as you said, it's just an embracing technology in a way they probably never thought. They probably never thought, oh, my art degree will come in handy so that I can do the artwork for a gaming stream. Well, another one of my guests, his name Hector Armienta, and he is a Mexican-American opera composer. He is really interested in VR and AR. So he's currently working on a project to develop opera projects using VR and AR as well to make it more accessible for people. It is incredible when you find these tools and you put them in creative hands, what they're going to come up with and how they're going to keep sharing the art that they're making and just bring it to wider and wider audiences. Absolutely. And people who they probably never thought would discover their work. There's a chance that his work will be discovered by someone sat in Sydney, Australia, or, you know, in the middle of nowhere, because, we, you know, we've now got mobile connectivity and everything. It just makes me excited. Look, you know, technology has its, you know, disadvantages. You know, my, my parents were of an age where they certainly didn't grow up with technology. My dad remembers seeing one of the early computers filling an entire room. And that, <laughs> and that was small for the time. I think it's just wonderful. And I know that there will be a lot of people who will be like, oh, no, but the, the old ways are the best. I, I think, and please correct me if I'm wrong, there's still space for analog mediums, but there's digital ways to capture them and express those analog mediums. that don't destroy the analog medium. They just enable it to be shared more widely. Is that, is that fair? I, I think it's definitely true that in some some cases, analog is still very prized, especially, and, and then also not necessarily analog, but older mediums like vinyl. I will say that there are some ways of discovering things that I miss the old ways. I mean, I am a huge music fan and told you of my love of the Smiths, um, before we started the show. And the way that I found out about the Smiths was that as a teenager, I came to London and I was on the tube wearing my little buttons. This, so this is really going to date me. I, this was in the 80s and I had my Prince button. I had my Adam Ant button. I had, I don't even remember who the other person is. And very punk looking person came up to me and said, I see you like music. I said, yes. He said, well, I have three names for you that will change your life. And he said, Simple Minds, The Cure, The Smiths. And I ran to a record store in London and bought those three albums, knowing nothing about them. And he was right. <laughs> it definitely changed my taste of music. I do I do miss those kinds of bizarre ways of collecting information. I think as a maker, though, I don't miss anything about the old ways. I, I take it you don't miss having to sit there with a splicer and tape doing up bits of edits and then, like, mm. oh, no, I've cut out too much. No, I don't. But, again, I miss... When you edited that way, you had to work in a team. And I miss that, but I don't it would have shut down during the pandemic 
you couldn't possibly have been working with a team. So things change, I think, quite often as they need to. I know lots of people still working in film um, who just kept working through the entire pandemic, for better or for worse, but because they could work from home. Certainly financially it was for better, you know, than to completely get laid off and lose your income. So, And, and that speaks a lot to the, how far technology has come that we can now edit and export 4K or even 8K video you know, super high resolution video on, you know, a laptop. I just love where we're heading with that. I love that, you know, the Crosswise YouTube channel is shot in 4K because at the end of the day, it's really no extra hardship on, you know, my my computer sweats a little bit more. But for me, it's just, you know, why not? It helps and it helps that resolution. One thing I've just got is someone with a visual impairment, you might think, well, you won't be able to tell the difference. Well, actually, because of that extra crispness, that extra sharpness in, it does, believe it or not, it does make a difference. Wow. Yeah. That's really fascinating. I, I'm just so excited. I, I mean, I, I, rem- I have fond memories of vinyl. My, my grandfather had a wonderful vinyl collection, and I remember... Um, you know, going around there for a Sunday evening meal. But it was basically, I would go around by myself. It was my time with my grandparents. And after dinner, or tea, as we called it, because it was, you know, Northern British household, some reason you called... So in the north of England, just for those who who don't know, lunch is often called dinner. And dinner is called, or supper is called tea. Don't ask me why. I have no idea of the heritage, but if anyone more northern than me knows, please do let us know. And he would put on a vinyl, you know, vinyl, and it would be songs that I fell in love with, and you'd hear the scratchiness, you'd hear as the needle jumped. And rather than now, and I think you sort of almost alluded to this, now, if we want to find a new song, we just go on Apple Music or Spotify, and it's like, oh yeah, what's new? There's not, not as much of a... And, you know, Apple have tried to build... And Spotify have tried to build tools to share music with your friends, but I don't think I've ever really put out my music recommendations to people. No, and there was something magical, just to be a little bit nostalgic, about, I mean, I used to be a terrible insomniac when I was a teenager, and so I would very quietly have my clock radio playing till late into the night, being in that situation and suddenly hearing a song that's just so amazing just by chance is something that I do miss a bit and I don't know how that has been or can be mimicked when you can search for it. You do lose a little bit of discoverability, but it shows like yours, which are highlighting people's work and bringing back that that word of mouth, literally word of mouth discoverability to art, which... We need more of. That's the sort of content I want to see on YouTube, not these hateful videos. I want to see people saying, hey, I found this new artist. They're doing something incredible with watercolours or with with chalk, you know, these beautiful chalk pavement things. You know, I remember he, certainly here in the UK, the amount of chalk that went onto our pavements with big signs, you know, thank you, NHS. The, the beachfront had a whole, uh, down here in, in Bournemouth, had a whole chalk sort of come and add to your chalk um, artwork. You know, a collaborative thing in a very, you know, non-digital form. Um, And then when you've got things like, you know, from a point of view, not maybe, well, definitely art, but more design, 
when you've again got tools like Photoshop to be able to quickly do photo work, or my personal favorite, and the one I use for all the design work for cross wires, is Affinity Designer, affordable. You know, this thing is what? Affinity Designer is what? £50 for it's effectively Adobe Illustrator without the ongoing subscriptions. But it's, again, my accessibility that I can do creative work very, very quickly without a whole printing press. You know, and I've worked in the newspaper industry and on, very much on the manual side of things. I wasn't a journalist. I was in the, the post press, basically putting newspapers inside of other newspapers. That was my job for several years. Well, I was just going to say when I was listening to you say that, it just occurred to me that um, we we were talking about there's a lot of horrible, hateful content. And that just means that a maker like yourself or myself, but especially like the artists that I'm highlighting, we all really need to get to work. Your content, you know, just from the little bit I've known you, you are a kind, open, generous person, and you're a great person to have in the community. So I'm really happy to see that you are engaging with the accessible tools and you're putting content out there because that's what exactly what needs to happen. And I, maybe I'm picking up something from here. I guess our message to people at this point is if you've got a story to share, if you've got something that you want to communicate, maybe you are a little doodaloo in your spare time and you've got some, you've got some little drafts. Don't be afraid to share them. If you've got a positive message, put it up. YouTube, go on. If you don't want to use YouTube, do you know what? Substack, now do videos. If you want a completely free way, um, I've got no affiliation to Substack. We're not doing any paid content through Substack, but Substack, that's where we host this podcast. It's where we host the blog. But they now let you upload videos. I think it's, oh, what is it? Because uh, my friend Joel is doing a new video series um, on sort of per programming, and we're going to be talking to Joel about that. But they will host up to 20 gigabytes per video episode. That's more than enough for a, for a short clip. So if you don't want to use YouTube because of the platform problems, you don't have to. Use things like Instagram stories. Get your story out there. Do you, is there any encouragement you give to people who are maybe a little bit hesitant? What, what's been your sort of experience when you've been talking to the artists about jumping in, make, you know, taking that dive into getting the story out there? Mm, that is such a good question. I've tried so many things and I have failed so many times I've been rejected so many times and that is not a comment on who you are and what you have to offer that is that is not a verdict on the value of what you're offering whatsoever it means that it wasn't the right thing for that particular person I've seen so many there's so many artists that I follow on Instagram who Seeing their posts and their comments make my day. I think it's super easy to let that self-doubt and that negative self-talk of like, I'm not good enough. Oh, this person said no. Well, you know what? That's one person. That's one organization. It's not, it doesn't define what you have to offer. Absolutely. That's a wonderful message. And it's, look, you know, Cross wires is still is still starting off. I'm not going to share the exact numbers, but our numbers are not. You know, we are not exactly a killer podcast yet. 
but the fact that you know I've got people coming for me, it's that validation of I know you know Pam, your words meant so much to me. But knowing that people are willing to come and chat to me on the show because we've both we've all got this one thing in in common: we want to share our stories, we want to tell people. It's why Zach from Squadcast came onto our show because he wanted to tell the story of Squadcast. It's why. You know, um, Crazy Ken from the Computer Clan came because he wanted to... I, I love that guy so much. He's so much fun to record with. Um, you know, it's why he came and and gave us that insight into scam busting because, again, it's telling a story that people need to hear. People need to be aware of this stuff. So I think, thank you, you know, on behalf of the entire, you know, creative community, thank you for our encouragement. Remember, folks, we're all, we're all human we all have a part to play. We all have a story to tell. And if someone rejects you, it's often not because it's you. It's because maybe it's not for, as, as Pam said, it's not for them. But keep going. I encourage you, you know, and I'll put a thing out there. If you have a story to tell that's even vaguely related to technology, you know, maybe you work in a field, maybe, you know, like, for example, your Mexican opera. Mm. His story of AR and VR that's the sort of thing, the positive TV using technology, we want to highlight and we want to share. So if you make some cool products that have a positive impact in technology, get in touch, email podcast at crosswise.net. I promise I'll reply to every single email. So Pam, before we wrap up, where can people find your podcast? Well, you can find it anywhere that you listen to podcasts. It's Art Heals All Wounds. And our website is com. And we are on social media, on Instagram, and on Twitter as at Art Heals Podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much, Pam. Um, Please do go and check out our podcast. Honestly, go and take the time. Go and have a a listen. Check out our website. uh, Follow them on social media. And, of course, you can follow us on social media, CrosswiresMG on Twitter. We're maybe going on to different platforms soon. Um, As I said, you can email podcast at crosswires.net. If you're a good pods listener, don't forget there's ratings and comments there. I, you know, I am a big Overcast fan in terms of podcast playback, but Good Pods is a genuinely cool way to share share your episodes and, and stuff. Um, as of yesterday, we are also now starting to we're starting to get into more and more podcast directories. Of course, we're in Apple Podcasts, we're in Spotify, we're in Google Podcasts, and as of yesterday, we're in Amazon Music Podcasts as well. So go on. You can search for us there. Just search Crosswires. I did find out there's more than one show called Crosswires, but ours is somewhat obvious. It's a technology show. If you end up in like a a music podcast or something else, I think you've gone the wrong way, folks. <laughs> Turn around, come back. You know, reset the sat nav, as it were. Pam, thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. I can't think of a better way to spend my afternoon. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much again, and thank you everyone for listening. Until the next episode, take care.